Today on the Go for Bronze podcast, Ubisoft cancels three unannounced games in financial trouble. You and me both, Ubisoft. The Last of Us is here to stay. That's a fact, and we're just going to have to deal with it. Ace becomes sick in more ways than one. Addictal, I'm looking at you. Stolen my dreams. Oh boy. Yoel actually buys a calendar this year so that he can know what the hell is going on in 2023. For all that and more, here are the guys. Hello and welcome to the Ghost of Bronze podcast. I am Joel Torres. And as always with me is the most dangerous vault hunter in the wasteland, Mark Ace Acevedo. And I'm addicted. <laughs> I need some Addictol. Addictol. Oh, yeah. I forgot that that's a drug in... Uh, Addictol, Addictol is... Yeah. Is a drug in uh, in Fallout, in the Fallout lore. But uh, this is the Go for Bronze podcast. Uh, Mark, and uh, we got a little bit of an introduction to how your week has been going. You were sick for a whole entire day. What the hell is going on? How are you sick only for 24 hours? Yeah, so basically, yeah, basically only 24 hours. I want to, so with this, I woke up. Well, so let me, let me preface this. Let me go back a little bit. We were going to sleep Mm -hmm. and we got a new comforter and we were doing the, we were looking at the reviews for this new comforter and some people were saying that, oh, you know, it's a really nice comforter. It's very fluffy, but warm sleepers can get hot. So beware. So I was already a little bit like, I don't know how my sleep is going to go. But basically, I slept like shit. I slept for like three or four hours. And historically, I'm very good at sleeping. I know it's not a hard thing, but I'm, right, I sleep very quickly. Sleeping is hard. Yeah, very, uh, <laughs> yes. And very well. So I had a really shitty sleep. I woke up at 3 a.m. And then I stayed up until the rest of the day, basically I woke up and played Fallout and I was very full of snot, very drippy. Now, something Ooh. that's gross is I have a lot of facial hair, right? I have a beard. It doesn't like hang down to my tits, but I do have <laughs> a nice beard and a mustache. The thing that's gross about that is that mucus is going to drip down and it's going to kind of stay in my mustache, which is nasty. So I had that. I was really sneezy. I thought it was worse than the regular kind of allergies that I have. And I was like, okay, well, I'll take a day quill and I will, you know, rest and drink water and do the usual stuff. And then I went to sleep early that night and took a night quill and slept for like 10 hours. Then the next morning I felt excellent. Like everything had completely disappeared. And it was just for 24 hours. Now I was suspecting that some of my personal lore is that annually I normally get sick every holiday season. And so I was wondering if this was that holiday sickness, but if it wasn't, it was only a day. I'm very happy with that. All right. I mean, first of all, why would you, I have, I have multiple questions, but the first one that arose when I was hearing your story, why would you look at the reviews of a comforter after you purchased it? Or was this a gift? That's a good question. Now, <laughs> the reason why we had to check the reviews is but so the reviews were checked beforehand. Okay. The reason why we went back to check the reviews is because when we were wa- you know, we got the comforter but you want to give it an initial wash, right? I don't know what's on there. So you give it the initial wash before you use it. But while it was in the dryer, it smelled like like rice. Like, it smelled like a food item and it didn't smell good, so we were like, what the fuck? So I was like, okay, maybe somebody 
will have something to say on their reviews. Like maybe this is a one-time thing. Mm -hmm. Now they didn't say anything about the smell, but to answer your question, that's what made us check their reviews. (laughs) And then I saw the thing about being warm and then I was like, oh, maybe I'm not going to sleep good. And then I didn't know if I was paranoid, but the next morning I clearly felt like shit. Hmm. I mean, maybe it could, it could be a mixture. So I think I was just sick. It could be because the comforter is excellent these past couple of nights. Okay. I'm sure it could be because, um, like you, like you said, you're getting shitty sleep. I, as somebody who gets shitty sleep on a daily basis and gets no sleep, uh, that does make you feel like shit the next day. And then also, the allergies have been going insane here in in Florida. Like the last few days at work, I'm just like super snotty and super disgusting. And today was actually the first day because it takes me like three days to remember that I have allergies so today was the first day where i was like oh let me take an allergy pill and also do a little flonase and then that way i wouldn't be like you know snotting all over my customers and stuff like that so it could be just to make sure the poor sleep allergies going crazy which also i don't know how allergies work because i thought when it's colder the plants die so there should be no pollen in the air so that and it's been like cold as fuck for some reason in florida Yeah, I don't know. I mean, with the allergies, it's been, uh, for me, it's been an uphill battle. I think I just haven't been thinking that whenever you have trouble breathing, probably the easiest solution is allergies. So, like, I haven't really been bitching about it on the show, but I've been complaining inside my apartment that I've been like, oh, I can't breathe this, that, whatever. But now that I'm taking allergy meds, I feel fine. And you're right. It is odd the way that the plants are kind of reacting to stuff because it looks right now in Florida it kind of looks like how it should look in like early October. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean yeah, Florida, but Florida's crazy. The weather is equally as crazy. So, but, um, but yeah, it's just been a weird time. I, that's, glad to hear you're doing better though. Glad to hear that you're healthy to record go for bronze. And you're here with us tonight alive yes. and safe. Yeah. I'm, I'm feeling good. It was a very quick turnaround. I was in the gym yesterday feeling excellent. Wow, so quick turnaround, turnaround for here. sure. But <laughs> historic turnaround. That's what I'm really trying to say is that it was just night and day. You're basically awesome. Wolverine is what you're saying. Is it just like, exactly. You just heal I'm automatically. Other, that's what I'm saying. The healing powers of Fallout 76. But before we talk about games or what we're playing, let's hear about this. Uh, you're purchasing a calendar, getting some little self-organization feel like it was good to uh, finally be an adult and get a calendar and be organized for once in my life. I've purchased Not planners. to say that you... Yes, I was going to say, not to say that you haven't had them in the past, because that <laughs> I don't know if the way I presented that made it sound like you didn't have self-organization. Just more organization. I won't cut you <laughs> off. I'll let you go ahead. You're good. Um, but uh, no, I'm, 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 I would say organization may be one of my uh, weaknesses in, in life in general. Emotional damage. I love skating by, love procrastinating, love just, you know, feet to the fire. Get some motivation. You have to have some motivation. I can't just be organized for no reason. Have shit go the way it's supposed to be for no reason. So, but uh, this week I had to reschedule multiple things and I was like, you know what I need? I need a calendar so that way I don't have to keep on rescheduling a whole bunch of shit. Because, uh, so for you listening out there, we are doing a stream Friday night, and uh, we, we, we're going in between some games, but it's going to be a fun one. We, we are doing a stream, me and Mark. Joseph, you're also obviously welcome to come as well. But um, So we'll be streaming a game, and then that was technically supposed to be on another be day, but then I had to move it over, and then the uh, same thing with the recording of this podcast. So there's a lot of, a lot of moving parts, 
And I was like, I need a calendar because I need to know exactly what's going on in my life and plan it out better and give the people in my life more time to actually adjust to the schedule. So I brought a calendar so that way, you know, I'm on top of shit. Better year, better organization. And I feel like a calendar is better than a planner because the calendar is always out and I'm always looking at it. So I'm always getting a mental reminder of like, oh, I have that coming up because I have had planners for years. You know, in school, they give you your planner. In college, I purchased my own planner and I would be really good first day filling out all the dates in my syllabus and the planner. And then by week three, I'm done. I'm not even looking at the planner anymore. I'm just like, who gives a shit? Whatever. Let's just... Just check my thing. Oh, that's doing that's doing twenty four hours. Let's write a fucking paper. Let's get it. Yeah, I was always uh, in terms of the planners. I have a, a big box in my closet that's like memento kind of things from my past, and I have a planner. I have a couple of planners, but I have one planner. I think it's from ninth grade. And the one thing that was consistent in my planner is every week on the weekend section, I would list out what games I was going to play that weekend. So I actually have it. I think it's I you know, this. from a long time ago, but yeah, I have it in there. And still you could see like what was Mark playing in August of like fucking 2010 or 2011 and it'll have it in there. So I like have the release dates of games and stuff. So I always, you know, we've always been dedicated to this, but now the system that works for me is I have a planner that is until I think 2025. So I put dates in there that are one-time dates or just like daily big events. And then I have a dry erase weekly calendar that I use for every single week where I put like my regular stuff on and then I'll just, you know, erase or cross things off as I do them. And that's the system that I found that works best for me, but super key. It's good to have. That's awesome. I would like to go through that planner and see exactly what you were playing during that during that time period. I wish I would have did something. That would be cool to have like a gaming journal. So that way you could like I would love to know what I was playing like in high school. Like, I mean, you know, you, you remember the big things, but what were those like in between weird games that you were trying out in between like your temple releases? One of the worst. I know that at some time. point I've got to find it because I know I have it, but I have a whole zombies book that oh, yeah. for like the extensive lifespan, all the puzzles and stuff. And Joe is pointing because we need that for us if we ever want to return to it because it's just a simplified version of all the guides and everything like that. And then in terms of it's our, amazing, it yeah. should be trademarked. It should be trademarked. It's just, I love this thing. That's going to be bonus content. For the listener, one day, one day, yeah, YouTube one of these days, we can print it out. Yeah, make all a of, booklet. All of my just plagiarized guides from all the YouTubers. That's really all it is. They didn't write that shit down. Well, I mean, it's an aggregator. It's yeah, not, yeah that's you true too. It. You, yeah, that's yeah, all you did that's the work. A, yeah, I appreciate the support. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> yeah, fuck them. You the, made it up. You made the game. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, you're right. I think you invented something, zombies and PlayStation. Yeah. Oh, that's what I was going to say. In terms of the Gopher Bronze stream for Friday, I think I will also throw up a Twitter poll on either my Twitter, Ace Nighthawk, or you can find it on the Gopher Bronze Twitter. And we can put our selection of games there. So if you want to vote, you can vote for them there. Otherwise, we'll just decide. But you can have us if you want to feel like you have a say in it. Then Ooh, you can find fun. it there. Yeah, that definitely sounds fun. Because we do yeah. have some few good options. But, um, well, some not, of the options are included in w- what we're playing, if you want to get into that. That's exactly what I was about to segue into. Look at that. I'm in, in sync right now. But yeah, so 
What have you been playing this past week, Mark? I know you've been you've been traveling the wasteland a lot recently. Yeah, the the huge one that I was really excited to talk about. The other two I don't have much to say, but the big one is really Fallout 76. I when we started the episode and I said, "Oh, a dictol." Uh, that's a chem, that's a chem, right? In fallout 76 to cure your addiction. So funny story with that. I'm a, di- I'm an alcoholic <laughs> in fallout 76. So I did, uh, I did a challenge or right? I did a daily challenge to drink like 25 drinks. So I was going to the vendors, I was getting my bourbon, my duchess's dram, my beer, right? And then I became an alcoholic. And the funny thing about that really is that when I went, because I was like, okay, well, I don't want this these negative effects. I want to cure the addiction. So I went to Google and I typed in Fallout 76 alcohol addiction. And instead of giving me any Fallout related things, they were just hotlines for being an alcoholic. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so that's amazing. That was kind just of funny. You those numbers, man. Yeah. I could have just given you any of those. <laughs> Joking yeah. about you out there. Come on. You're just it's going to be great if... If the uh, if the in game if the in game solution to fix it was to go to like Fallout AA meetings, that would be amazing. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, that's it's uh, like that's you and one of those zombie just... guys like just itching their skin. They're like, I'm just addicted to the cans. <laughs> yeah, right now the right now the progress of it is basically I'm either waiting until I find an addictol to cure it, but until then. I'm just drinking because when you drink, it takes away the negative effects. So oh what are you going to do? Gosh. My guy's addicted. Now, he can needs. You, can you cold turkey it? You can't. Or if you cold turkey it, the negative die. effects that you don't die, you don't lose health, but the negative effects just stay on your character. I think it's minus agility and maybe minus Courage. charisma or endurance. It's yeah, one of those. Gonna, you got to keep drinking. Yeah, but yes, yeah, so I just got to go, keep. Buddy. I just got to keep <laughs> drinking stuck. for now, and or find a meeting, you know, or find or a meeting. Now, Fallout seventy six was released back in twenty eighteen. I tried it at the time, but it came out to kind of negative reception of of being kind of empty. And since then, they've done numerous patches. They've included NPCs now as part of the Wastelanders update in twenty twenty. And I would really just say that I've been hooked into this game in a way that I really didn't expect. And more so, I'm hooked in this game and now invested in, like, I want to play all of the other similar games. Like, now I can't fucking wait for the Fallout 4 PS5 port. I want to play Outer Worlds. I want to play Skyrim. I think it's something that we've talked about here before on the show is some sometimes the way that we play games changes with age. And I feel like the way that I'm approaching this is a different way that I never approached any of Bethesda Softworks games before, and it's much more enjoyable. I'm I'm much less I'm much less uh, tedious with what I'm doing. I'm not like okay, let me make sure I've got the best weapon and always be managing my inventory and mm-hmm. always be making sure I do this quest and this quest. I'm just playing the shit, and when I'm just playing it and just kind of like not caring and letting the game kind of take over. There's so many weird and fun automatic and random things that are happening as I level up. And the more you level up, the more perks you have and just on like stuff that you weren't planning on just happens. So I'm really enjoying it. And I'm really excited about it. It's good to play it now as you know like a kind called, of full you know, release. You, you know what, what is that it style of play is called? That very enjoyable style of play you just described is called going for bronze. Oh, that wow. is true. Go for bronze. I mean, that's true. Title. It's a way of life, you know. 
you set the bar low and you have fun. I heard a great statement the other day that happiness is not a measure of the magnitude of positive times in your life. It's the frequency of them. So you mm-hmm. set that bar low and you have a good day. Every day doesn't have to be the best day, but you have a good day every day. You'll feel good. You'll be happy. Well, we're also a self-help podcast as well. Now, also, do not waste your fucking money on Blacktail. I bought that shit, okay. and this is why we need PlayStation Trials, okay? All right. That was not a positive experience. I'm actually going to I want to look up Blacktail because I don't even know what this game looks like because you were saying it was a first-person RPG? Correct. It is a first-person fantasy RPG that's really archery combat. You don't actually switch weapons, and it looks very trippy and plays trippy. I don't know. It's just not that great. This looks like a Skyrim mod. Yeah, but not a good one. Not like Forgotten City. I don't know. I I got it. And so I told Joel that I was playing a little bit of it and I wasn't having the best experience. And he was like, yeah, well, dumbass, did you check the reviews? And I was like, yeah, Steam said it was a 9 out of 10. And then Metacritic, it wasn't too high. It was like a 78. You can't trust the PC players. not too bad. I'll give it a shot. Yeah, I guess that's true. They made a bad decision at first, you know? Of all time. Yeah, it's just not for me, is what I would say. Yeah, that. I mean, and then yeah. more Last of Us Two. More Last of Us Two. I'm still continuing on my platinum path there. I just am now getting into. I'm just now getting into playing as Abby. I just finished up Ellie's like main section on my grounded plus playthrough, and I was stuck on one section for a long time, and I finally got past it. So now I'm playing as Abby. Sweet. So wait, how long is it taking you to? I know you've been playing yeah. it in like small chunks, but how long have you been playing this like grounded playthrough? Is it like, do you notice it taking you a lot longer just because you have to be more, like, uh, more intentional with your movement and stuff like that? Because like it's like one shot kill, basically, right? I would say it's maybe taking me just a little bit longer, but not that much longer than a regular playthrough because I've only gotten st- stuck on two spots in it. So it's really not the difficulty, and I don't think it's that hard. Like you were saying, I just play like really small bursts over a really long period of time. I mean, I've already done all the collectibles and everything like that, and I did my initial playthrough. So I just, it's just a game that I pop in every now and then and just break off piece by piece. And so. Because now I'm at the point where all I have to do is just play the game and eventually I'll have the platinum because all I'm doing now is upgrading the rest of the weapons and upgrading both characters and then I'll have my platinum. So now it's super enjoyable because I don't have to think about any kind of missable things. I just play the game and if I finish the game and they're not upgraded all the way, just restart it again and they'll get there. So I'm just enjoying it until I platinum it. And it'll be soon because Ellie's fully upgraded. She only has one weapon that I need to finish, which is the bow. And then Abby, I'm just starting her section. So I I haven't really taken a look at what needs to get done. Mm-hmm. But all everything carries over from my first playthrough. Okay, that's good. Another grind. We love grinding out of platinum, you know, the slow play. We don't want to get a platinum game in the first time you play. You know, you can take your sweet time. I'm still stuck at 90% on Dead Space 2 and Fallout or Far Cry 6. It's okay. I'll get to it eventually. It's okay. Eventually, right? You'll, you'll get, <laughs> the one I won't get to eventually is The Witness. I was going to say The Witness. I'll never get back to that one. I only had one trophy left, and Joel knows this. It's because 
the last trophy is just really hard. It's nothing really more than that. But that save file I don't have anymore, so I'd have to replay the whole game, and I'm just not going to do that. Because there's no guarantee I'd even get the platinum. Yeah. I might redo the whole shit, not earn a single trophy, and then not even get it at the last second. So yeah, I'm rambling rough. a lot. Let's hear, what have you been playing? So uh, I've been playing a few games, but the game that I'm most excited to talk about is the game I actually started today before we started recording. I worked a half day, so I had half the day off. And I was like, and I just purchased two new games. I purchased uh, Call of the Lamb and the Stanley Parable. Um, I have not played Stanley Parable in the past, so I'm excited to play that eventually when I get to that. But the game of the hour is Cult of the Lamb. This game is fucking fantastic. And like Mark was saying, he's addicted to uh, Fallout 76. I'm addicted to Cult of the Lamb. It is, you know, when you, you probably experienced this with Fallout 76, you know, when you play a game and you're like, oh, this is a problem. Cause like, I'm enjoying this like so much where it's like, if I'm left alone in front of this TV for eight hours and nobody contacts me, I will stay here eight hours completely like unbothered and just fully immersed and fully uh, dedicated to playing this game. So what is Cult of the Lamb, you ask? So it's basically, you play this little lamb and you are creating your cult. And it has a mixture, it has roguelike elements, which I'm not a big fan of roguelikes, but the combat is is very simple, very, it's it's a easy, it's super easy when it compared to most roguelikes, because I feel like roguelikes also tend to be tied in with like very difficult games, but it's very easy in terms of like its combat so far. I've only done one out of the four main bosses. And then the aspect that's really got me like, you know, sucked in and drawn in is, uh, the managing of your cult and it basically becomes this like dark and twisted animal crossing village where you recruit these cult members and you, you know they have them building stuff for you you have them worshiping you and the fun thing is you get to name all your cultists so i have mark and joe actually in my cults <laughs> as of right now so yeah you guys are some of my most i want the screen huh I want the screenshot of who we are. I'll, I'll screenshot it. I try to like correlate it with like I picked everybody colors and I picked everybody like things that I thought like reminded me of them and like characters. I try to make them be like this is what I would think you guys would be. And then, um, but yeah, so I have Mark, Joe, I got Alex, I I got the boys, I got my brothers, I got my girlfriend, I have my parents. And then I think that's it right now. I think that's all the cult members I have. So now I'm going to have to start diving deep. And oh, I also have James. I have James as well as a cult member. And I think that that's, that's it as of right now. But um, so yeah, now that when I get new cult members, I really don't know what I'm going to do. But these could be the cult members that I sacrifice to make sure that we all live together happily. Because sometimes you got to kill cult members because they get I, out of line. Yeah, it's it's interesting. That's like a whole offshoot that it's funny that you bring that up because there have been games in the past, specifically like JRPGs where you can rename characters Mm -hmm. where I'll do a similar thing where I'll rename them as like my friends and uh, significant other and stuff like that. And I never knew if it was like a psychopath thing to do, but it makes it more intense to me when it's like, you know, Joel just fucking died of dysentery and I'm like, oh shit, like, you know, it's a little bit different. And so I think that ends up going into a whole nother conversation of like, when you play a game, do you rename your character? Like when you play Zelda, do you name him Link or do you name him? I name him Link. Joel? That's different you know I mean? because like it's a whole Zelda is a weird game different. where That's it gives true. you that option and it doesn't really fit in my mind because it's like, it's Link's story. It's a defined character. It's a defined character. So that's weird. I think the same thing with Master Chief, uh, not Master yeah. Chief, my bad. Mass Effect. 
where you can, I believe you can name the, your like Commander Shepard, you can make it, you know, Commander Joel or Commander Mark. And for me, that doesn't make any sense because Commander Shepard is a character. He's not like, like, it's not like Skyrim or anything like that, where it's like you're creating, or Fallout, where you are creating this like a uh, blank slate and you're filling it out and giving it your characteristics. So, um, usually if it's an RPG, I just name it like Joey. Just, it's like me. It's interesting you mentioned Fallout again, because I'm thinking in Fallout 4, it's like you kind of are a character, but you're not defined enough to even have a name, but you have all those dialogue mm-hmm. options, so you're kind of pre-written, you know what I mean? So that, yeah. that's a weird little blend. And then I, I uh, with how you were saying with Cult of the Lamb, how you're like, if I'm just left in front of the TV, I'm playing it all day. Another way you know that I'm addicted to Fallout 76 in a way that I'm rarely am for games is on my phone while I'm doing like just daily tasks. I almost always have lore videos Jesus. going about like, Oh, these characters have been returning characters in fallout two and fallout four. And so I'm oh, like really? hyping myself to be like, you know, yeah. They, so they I guess they're characters, characters from the old dude, games. Yeah. What the fuck? This the game fuck is it, so amazing. The, dude. Sounds amazing. This is what I'm it. saying where I'm like, it is. It really is. It's like it's like I am shocked that I've played so much Fallout in the past, but I didn't see it for what I'm seeing it now. Like, I'll give you a quick example, so I'm not rambling too much, right? So in Fallout Four, when the Brotherhood of Steel come to um, the Commonwealth, the main guy, right, Maxim, that mm-hmm. is like the main guy in the that you talk to him. He is in Fallout 3 as a kid in one of the Brotherhood of Steel buildings. You're right. Yeah, it's the same guy. And so there's multiple things like that. And I was like, dude, I can't. So I'm listening and watching all these lore videos and quote unquote useless information about Fallout this, Fallout that. And so I'm like playing Fallout 76. And now that's why I'm really hype. I'm like Fallout 4 is going to be coming to PS5. And I never played the Far Harbor expansion. So I'm going to be super excited to play that. And even though I know the compatibility will probably make it too shitty and I might not do it, I am even kind of interested in playing New Vegas M3. And I need to play Outer Worlds. So I'm just... I think it's exciting because now I feel like I have all these games on my plate. That yeah. They've always existed and I've always loved them. But now I'm like, okay, I'm ready. Because I've never hit like max level in any of these games. Like Skyrim, I was never level 50 or got Platinums in any of them except for Fallout 4. But I'm so... Anyway, very excited. And I like the lore videos. Yeah. I mean, yeah, Fallout is uh, for me, when we used to have the dumb argument as children arguing about Elder Scrolls versus Fallout, I've always been more of a Fallout guy just because I played Fallout 3 first. I feel like basically that argument was did you play Fallout 3 or Oblivion first? And then that's kind of like where you went. You played Oblivion first, so you fuck with Elder Scrolls. I played Fallout 3 first. I fuck with the Fallout universe. But like, this is why I always liked Fallout because the world was so like, rich to me and now you telling me about these lore videos kind of backs me up i didn't know I, you obviously don't notice shit like that because the games take like eight years to make so you don't notice those little things but like it felt it feels like that atmosphere is always within the games and they really care about the world but um i do so you're saying 76 has characters from like all the other games even like the og ones no like 70, characters. 76 76 might have some recurring characters, but the videos I was watching is just like the whole franchise, like in different games, characters that are returning. So some videos I've been watching are 76 specific. Others are just Fallout specific. And I agree that the lore is very interesting. Although I think Elder Scrolls also has a very like deep lore. They just play different. Mm -hmm. Like Fallout is more, I think, 
just fun. It's very like there's a lot of comedy in the writing and it's witty. And when you're playing it, you're leveling up and a lot of kind of random things will happen. I feel like Elder Scrolls is a little bit more. I mean, it still has its wacky parts, but it's slightly more serious, especially in the gameplay. The gameplay is a lot more serious. Yeah, it takes itself more serious than being like, okay, you know, fighting with a sword and shield and you have magic. But Fallout is like, you know, fucking vats. And then fucking Mysterious Stranger comes out. (laughs) Yeah, and you got the Fat Man nukes, uh, stuff like that. But it's good. Oh, and in addition to being addicted to alcohol, I'm also a cannibal. So I eat people when I need to refill my health. That's good shit. It's good stuff. Glad you're making good decisions in your alternate life in Fallout 76. Yeah, it's cool. So it's good to I know also that didn't know that it takes. You go, you oh, go. No, go ahead. I was going to say, it's good to know that. I was when- just going to say. <laughs> Jesus Christ, you go. <laughs> I was going to say that uh, 76 takes place in West Virginia, and I didn't know that some locations in like the map, again, I guess similar to their other maps, are like you can find this exact location. In real and life. So it's cool. Yeah. That's cool. But what I was going to say earlier is that it's good to know that when the apocalypse happens that you'll become an alcoholic that eats people. I'll be ready. You'll that's be ready, the, That's the really important thing. And I will have my real-life Nuka-Cola Quantums because I still have them. Oh, shit. You will actually have... I, you I have yours have, too, right? Yeah, I still have mine. It, mine's is weirdly uh, like evaporated even though I haven't ever opened the bottle, but it is weirdly evaporating and it's i think every time i look at it it gets lower and lower it's it's very odd you sell those for a good buck now i think like 50 bucks they're going for probably yeah it was cool that we got those that's when when fallout 4 was coming out they did nuka cola quantums in real life and we got a couple yeah that's interesting got them at tarjay tarjay but back to cold of the lane i just want to say one more thing about naming the characters and when you're talking about joel died of dysentery uh, I had one where it was like, uh, oh, I was out in like the middle of a dungeon. It's like, Jaden is starving. And then I was like, oh, fuck, I got to get back. Jaden is my younger brother. So like, fuck, I got to get back. I got to feed Jaden. And then also another fun thing that a weird anecdote that was funny. I was like, oh, Jaden and Pamela have become really good friends. Jaden is my brother and Pamela is my girlfriend. I was like, oh, that's that's sweet. I can't wait till it's like, uh, till, uh, <laughs> it's like Mark, Joe and Alex are going off on a war zone trip and they die. Because you can send your characters off to do missionaries and spread the gospel of my cult. Mm. You and mean then, to be missionaries? Yeah, you're missionaries on my behalf. I built the mission. To, to do missionary. To do missionary, I guess. I don't know. I'm not a religious man no, myself. No, 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 so no, no, no. Are, you, are you asking us to assume a missionary position in your cult? Oh, that's yes. Yeah. I'm asking you to lay down, close your eyes, yes. shut your mouth. Okay, that's, that's what, what we were. Yeah, that's what we were really curious about. Yeah, that. Then you go on the. <laughs> then you go on the missionary afterwards. After we do missionary, that's how it works. That's the ritual. That sounds cool though. In Cult of the Lamb, I didn't know about that aspect of it. I knew yeah. that you like recruited characters, but I didn't know that there was a lot more that you can do with them. I thought it was like you can swap into them to play as those characters. No, I know there's a feature I haven't unlocked this yet, but you can even bring people with you when you go on your dungeon raids. But um, I don't think you can ever swap your character. You always play as the as the little lamb. But uh, it's a very fantastic game. It's if I played it in 2022, would have easily made my top ten list because that shit is it's really good. It's very very good. I'm very happy that I'm 
finally picked it up. And then the other two games I'm playing are kind of just, you know, not much else to say. I've been talking about them for the past few weeks. Need for Speed Unbound. I completed the first uh, the first of three qualifiers. Uh, Need for Speed Unbound's fun. It's a game that I'm going to slow play whenever I'm like in the mood for it. It's not something that I'm like eagerly trying to press through and just kind of finish it. It's like a it's in the background. It's like whenever I'm like, I got an hour to kill or something or my girlfriend's getting ready to go out somewhere. I'm like, oh, I can do a couple of races and I don't want to get in depth with something too much right now. And then the final game that I'm playing uh, that I do want to be in that I'm also enjoying very much is Final Fantasy VII Crisis Core Reunion. Fantastic game. I fucking love it. It's so campy, so Japanese, so weird. And I really, really like the Final Fantasy VII world. And Are you kidding me? And I don't, and I don't know why it took me forever to like get into this franchise and specifically this game. But yeah, I, I like, I love this. I love the backstory. I love what it's providing me in terms of like giving, like I said, backstory for Zach and Cloud and kind of just contextualizing a lot of the things I played in the remake. Uh, I do feel like it is kind of, it is kind of spoiling the game, and because it's. It's supposed to be played after you beat the original Final Fantasy VII, but I feel like it's not. I don't feel like it's like that bad. I don't feel like it's going to take away anything from that experience when I do play the remake because I'm also expecting the remake to be telling a different story entirely. So uh, that's fantastic. Uh, the platinum for that game is a bitch. As a hundred missable trophies, it's it's not. I wouldn't say one of the worst uh, trophy lists I've played in a while. It's not the worst just because it's it's a game from a different era. I feel like older games, I don't, I don't know, you can you can chime in here, Mark, but I feel like older games definitely did have a lot more missable trophies, especially the straightforward uh, linear single-player games because it's just like, oh, did you jump in the pool in Uncharted 2 or not? So it has like a lot of stuff like that. Um, but but I, I want a platinum, but that's a grindy platinum. I don't know if I'm going to do that. I know exactly what you're talking about, the kind of chapter-specific miscellaneous trophies. I think the biggest problem is when you have games come out and they don't have chapter select. Because if they have a chapter select, yeah, that's why it's an issue. Because then you got to play through it with a guide. And to be honest, it's something that I used to do maybe years ago. But playing a game for the first time with a guide, to me, is just not that enjoyable. So I just don't do it anymore. However, I don't know what the reason is, but I know that those missable trophies still suck, but I don't mind playing a game like 10 to 15 times through and only focusing on one of those things. Like instead of being like, oh, I'm going to do a whole missable run, I'll just, you know, I'll get one of them and then I'll play the game over. Now, I know that this is a long game and I am still playing through it. So I'm not saying this game specific. And yes, those missable trophies do suck. I just think that they need to have chapter select. Like mm-hmm. another example of this where. It's not a huge deal, and it's also a very short game, but still, Callisto Protocol doesn't have chapter select. And so I think that they went a little bit of a smarter route and just chose a very easy trophy list, although that Mm -hmm. shit is still bogged. I think they they chose an easy trophy list because they were like, well, we don't have a chapter select. And then also kind of famously in the marketing, Schofield talked about how they'd have a trophy for getting all kill animations and that is not in the game. So I think that it is a good idea to change your trophy list per what the game can do in the modern era. So if Mm -hmm. your game is not going to have chapter select, maybe don't have as many missable trophies. It kind of, I want to know, it would be interesting to have an interview 
with somebody that sets up these achievements lists to be like, well, what is your reasoning for doing this? Kind of knowing that there is a bias towards if you have a good and or easy trophy list, you're probably going to sell more copies. I feel like, yeah, I I feel like developers don't care about trophy lists, but I think developers have caught mm-hmm. on to the fact that if you have an easy or attainable platinum, that your game will sell more because every single first party Sony game obviously it makes sense that they would have some of the best and kind of like not easy, but they're very well constructed trophy lists because they're first party games. But every single Sony first party game is pretty much an attainable platinum. There's, there's, there are platinums out there that it's like, if you're not like a seasoned veteran at trophy hunting, you're not going to get this shit or you're going to just be like burnt out. But very rarely do I feel like first party games have missable trophies. They're very simple, kind of just basically do like play the game entirety, do like all side quests, all collectibles kind of stuff. And even like Horizon Zero Dawn, the new, uh, what is it called? Forbidden West. I know it doesn't even require you to collect all of certain collectibles. It's like get up to like 70% or something like that. So I do think that uh, companies have leaned into the fact that if they have a good trophy list, they know they will sell better. I think close to protocol with having a lot of uh, Sony's hands in the making of the game they're Sony was probably like hey like make this like a pretty easy because i mean it's if you play it on maximum security you can probably get the do one playthrough and get the platinum in like 10 hours yes and i think that i so say yeah i think that the biggest thing is really just making sure the trophy list isn't annoying i have no problem it when it's some people don't like it, but difficulty specific trophies I love. There's only a couple examples that I don't like, but most of the time I like it when they want you to at least play it on the hardest difficulty, but keep it light on missable stuff because missable stuff, yeah, is just frustrating and feels like a time waste. And then Callisto is one of those odd examples where their maximum difficulty is really fucking easy. Mm-hmm. But yeah, who knows? Well, we'll we'll see. I mean, we've got um We'll see when 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 you get through Crisis Core. The real test is when you get through Crisis Core. Would you have any interest in replaying it? I mean, I would have to. I would. I wouldn't mind because I know I, I in my mind I'm already mentally prepared that I have to replay it at least once because I do need to play the game on hard. And I don't. And I think as so. Here's another thing. Here's another. Here's another fucking thing. Is that I hate when games require you to play the game on the hardest difficulty, but the hardest difficulty is locked from the beginning of the game. And so it forces you to play it twice. That's also a little annoying. I know that Uncharted did this, does this with crushing. This it's not a it's not a new thing at all. It's a very much an old game kind of thing. I think that we went away with that, like in the PlayStation 4 era. But that's also very frustrating when it comes to trophy grinding. When you have, when they like, I don't mind. Like, I'll take on the challenge. Give me that shit at, at the beginning. Like, I remember uh, Bioshock Infinite. You had to do like the Konami code to unlock the 1999 mode from the beginning, so that way you can play it um, one time to just get the platinum. So, uh, Final Fantasy VII Crisis Core does do that, and you and it, so it locks away hard from the beginning. So you have to beat it on normal to unlock hard. So I already knew going in, I was gonna have to play it twice if I did want to platinum it. Gotcha. Yeah, I remember I used to do that where I'd want to go into games with the hardest difficulty, and now I'm but like Joe was saying, I'm on the go for bronze mentality now. So I just play everything on normal first, and then yeah. if I actually finish it, then I'll re go through it on a harder difficulty or whatnot. Yeah, and it like. 
See, and that's another thing. It's one of Sony first party games. They don't even have difficulty tied trophies. It's like God of War. Like you can, I was that was a game where I was fluctuating in my difficulty. Sometimes I was playing it on hard because I was like, oh, this shit's like too easy. And then sometimes I'll be like, this is I'm getting my ass kicked too much. So I put it down on normal. So I kind of like that flexibility it gives you because you get to just kind of enjoy the game however you like it. Because there are some times where games are too easy on normal, and you do want to, you know, you want a little pushback. That's true. That is true. I think, it, yeah, it's good when you can change it while you're playing it. Yeah. Now, do you have anything else to say about these? I have nothing else to say about this. Oh, I'll, one more thing. We're talking about Closer Protocol. And uh, <laughs> I swear, there's one more thing. And I saw a lot of comparisons that people were comparing it to the Order 1888 or 86. What was it? 1886. Order 1886. And I thought that that was a, like an apt comparison. And I just wanted to say that I've, I've been seeing those uh, comparisons out there on the in the internet. And I want to say that I agree with that. And I and I liked both of those games. Don't love them. I agree with that. But I liked both yeah. of those games. I agree. I agree with that in in structure and, and, and quality. I think mm-hmm. just expectations were different for the two of them. But I definitely do agree with that and can see where the comparisons lie. Now. On the horizon, we might have something really interesting to talk about eventually. So we're going to get into the news here. Starting out here, this is a PlayStation podcast. However, I figured that since this has something to do with us in the long run, this is an important story to cover. Mm -hmm. Now, the Forza Horizon devs have left... Some of the Forza Horizon devs have left Playground Games and Xbox to form a multi-platform studio. Now, former Playground Games creative director Mike Brown has announced the formation of new AAA studio Maverick Games. Following Brown is Playground Games' former lead producer Tom Butcher, technical directors Matt Craven and Gareth Harwood, audio director Fraser Sachin, and art director Ben Penrose. Maverick is located in the UK games development hub of Leamington Spa. In a press release, the studio stated that they have secured significant seed funding and are actively working on its new game. Brown said in a statement regarding the new studio, our goal is our goal for Maverick Games is to be a studio people will love. For players, we're already at work on an exciting ultra high quality title. And for developers, we're building a home where everyone is encouraged to take risks, be curious, be creative, be innovative, be themselves, and above all, be a Maverick. Playground Games was founded in 2010 and has been one of the only reliable studios for Microsoft, releasing five great Forza Horizon games, and a separate team within Playground Games has been working on a Fable reboot for Xbox, and in late 2021, Eidos Montreal joined the project as a co-developer. Now, this is just interesting because clearly, as we've seen in Critical Reception, Forza Horizon has been a heavy hitter for Xbox every time they release a title. We love them. It's kind of like one of the driving reasons we have Xbox mm-hmm. now. Uh, it's like kind of the reason I turn it on. So it's just, it's really nice to see that some of their head people are like, you know what? We want to go do something else and now it's going to be a multi-platform. And I think that this might be reading into it a little bit too much, but with the way Xbox has kind of been handling their studios, I feel like it's a fair assessment is him making sure that he states that people are encouraged to take risks and be curious and be creative. I would imagine that after a decade of making Forza Horizon, they're probably like, can we do something else too? Or are we just going to be like the Forza studio? Yeah. And I mean, Xbox also has that history, like you were kind of alluding to, that they create studios that make 
specific games. Like uh, Coalition is the Gears of War team. Um, three four three will only make Halo games, and Playground Games is on the path where they were only gonna make Forza Horizon games, and the same thing with Turn Ten with the Forza Motorsport series. So, um, I can like you said in that statement, I feel like he's kind of speaking to that where he's like, you get to be creative, you get to be yourself. So, uh, I mean, it doesn't look good. A lot of heads while reading the story, I was shocked with how many like. These are top positions within this company. These aren't yeah. just like nobody's leaving the company. So it kind of makes me wonder: a) why were none of these people queued in on the Fable game? Because if they, if they if you know, if you wanted to make something new, that that's also a route that they could have gone. And then, but then uh, while reading this, I also did forget that Idos Montreal is now joining that as a co-developer for that. So that kind of maybe maybe that was going down a bad path, and maybe they were like, this isn't turning out the way we want it to be. And Microsoft is still just tying us to its old IP. We want to make something new. And maybe that was just kind of a budding point with Microsoft where they're like, well, you know, what? we're going to fucking leave and create Maverick Games, which is a pretty cool name for a game studio. Yeah. And I couldn't agree more with what you're saying. I think they were just probably I could see a situation where they probably offered them like, hey, do you want to work on this Fable thing? And probably to themselves, they were like, you know, we don't I know I don't want to make Fable. I also don't really want to make Forza either. And they mm-hmm. already have so much credit to their names. And Forza Horizon is a fantastic, absolutely fantastic racing game. But there are so many elements in it that I also find myself thinking like, even when I play them, I do think like I would imagine this studio would make other fantastic games too. Yeah. Like the level of detail in the cars is great, but there's so much entertaining stuff to do. And they take really good care of the games that... It's exciting. Whenever they announce what it is that they're working on, I'll be very excited for it. And this is for us, especially on the PlayStation side. I mean, this can only be viewed as a win. Not in a a teardown Xbox way, just we're going to get a new game that will probably be very high quality. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because they said outright that it's going to be multi-platform. It's going to be on both consoles, PC. So, I mean, I'm... what. Like, I know this is very, like, early on, but, like, what do you think it is? I I think it's obviously not going to be a car game because that's why they left. We know it's an open world game. We know Mm -hmm. that. I know that they said ultra high quality open world games. So with that, I would just assume that. I don't really know. You're right. It's tough because I, I agree. I don't think that they would go back to making a car game. But then conventional wisdom would have me saying, okay, well, they have these strengths, maybe gonna make they're gonna make XYZ. But that's kind of been thrown under the rug after we've had Gorilla go from kill zone to horizon. So they really might be able to do just something that's like kind of shocking and we don't know what it is. I will say that I don't want to get my expectations super high, but the fact that it's like a lot of head people from playground games. I feel like whatever it is will at least be good. Like I couldn't see a situation where the game that these people are in charge of is bad. Cause something that we talk about here on the show, or I guess maybe it's just me kind of spouting off over and over again is not to get too into the, the clout when they attach a certain name to something. But the thing I do believe in is when a team is consistently producing, and this is a large chunk of a team that is consistently producing some of the highest quality racing games ever made. So if it's a it's a chunk of them and they're currently working and producing and honestly kind of quickly 
like 2018 to 2021 is really not that long when you consider how massive Forza Horizon 5 is. So Five games in a decade? I just, yeah, I, I think that whatever they do, I'm excited for it now. I, you, I guess if I'm just to throw out some kind of guess, I would say that they're going to make an open world like action adventure game mm-hmm. and vehicles are going to be really good in it. Like a Mad Max kind of thing? Like how Mad Max... That had, would be fucking awesome. Wouldn't that be That's awesome? That's not what I thought... That would be awesome. Like, like how Mad Max had car really combat ox, like aspects of it and also the action. I feel like they could make like something really cool and, like with that vibe. Because they have to have some... I feel like they... Not that they have to have it, but it would be a waste to... Like, you know, they they know how to make an open world car game be, be very fun. And I feel like they can like... Uh, they can marry that with like some interesting action um, like combat and with a character. I feel like they can do a really good job. Yeah, I agree. And we're just going to have to go ahead and see because even though I am currently right now very excited about it, I'm not forgetting that Deviation Studios was formed from Jason Blundell and some of the people at Treyarch and now he's already left and I don't know what they're working on. So so I'll just wait. I am excited, but Mm -hmm. until we actually start seeing stuff, it's not definitive. But again, right now at the moment, the... The base of this is just PlayStation is getting another new title. There's nothing negative there. Definitely. And like you were saying, with studios working on different projects with Guerrilla, I mean, also another great example of that is Respawn. I mean, they were known for just first-person shooters, and then they made Jedi Fallen Order, and they also made uh, are making uh, Jedi Fallen Survivor, which is another anticipated game this year. And like so I think once, once a, a studio is trusted in making quality work, I don't... I'm not concerned if they stick in the same genre or not, because I think both those studios have shown me that if it's a quality studio, you can be versatile and you can hire for different type of things. Because I remember for uh, before they released um, Horizon, Gorilla was hiring the like lead writer for Lore and for the New Vegas uh, game or Fallout New Vegas. So you know, there's you can switch, you can add things to it. But if like Mark was saying earlier, if there's a good team in place. And they have, and they can establish a good culture. That's another thing that they have to establish with the new, with the whole new studio is just establishing the culture within Maverick to emulate some of the things that were positive out of Playground Games. So, if, I feel like they can definitely do that with how many heads they took. Agreed. Now, moving on, we've got Bungie is Ooh. working on a number of unannounced projects with Sony. So Bungie creative lead Tom Farnsworth said in a Twitter post that the studio has completely changed how it develops its games over the past 25 plus Destiny content drops. Moving strictly from box products to live service games, he continued to say, and with the support of Sony, we are working on a number of unannounced projects too. Bungie said in February 2021 that it planned to bring at least one new IP to market before 2025. Prior to the deal's completion, Sony CEO Kenichiro Yoshida said regarding the $3.6 billion acquisition, we believe it will be a catalyst to enhance our live game services capabilities. He later said that our acquisition of Bungie also represents a major step forward in becoming more multi-platform. So Bungie was acquired by Sony in a independent kind of working together standpoint Bungie's games are not going to be sony exclusive at least that's what both companies have said in the past and so 
This is another thing where this is one of those announcements where I kind of don't really know. I guess it could be assumed it could be another first-person shooter, but kind of whatever it is, I'd be excited for it. I mean, I don't play a lot of Destiny. We played it Destiny 2 a lot when it came out, and we kind of did all there was to do in the base release but didn't stick with it. Mm-hmm. Not for any specific reason. I mean, it's very good. It's very fun, but... I'd be interested to see what the new IP is because I think even though we got into Destiny 2, for some reason, there's always been... A, I think the barrier for me is that they take they can take content out of the game, which I don't like. For me, it's how much the fucking game costs. It's like... Uh, yeah, it's that too. You're right. It's, not, every, like, it's yeah. not like it's like free updates. It's like the $30 expansions. And granted, I'm not... Like we, we've mentioned before, pay for your games, pay for your products, this and that, but... Um, I'm still, I still haven't interacted with a live service game in that way. I'm not used to buying like, uh, expansions and stuff like that. I don't buy single player DLC because, you know, I believe it's tried and trusted. If it's a good story, that's what I'm concerned about. But the last time I think I was buying multiplayer content was fucking Call of Duty map packs for like Black Ops. But maybe that was the last one I did it. I am a member of Fallout first. Oh my fucking god, this guy. Only for a month, only for a Jesus month. Jesus Christ, for a month. come on. Only for Todd a month. Howard got him, Todod Howard's got him. Pay for, the, pay for the games you want to play, right? That is true, pay for that. Hey, I'm glad you're supporting the game you love. Yeah, pay for the games you play. Now, I did buy Fallout 76 a while ago. I don't remember okay. when, but at some point I did. Like, it, it did come out for plus this month, but mm-hmm. that's just a resurgence of players, and that is why I hopped back into it. But I did buy the game at some point. For these unannounced projects, I don't. when they say multiple projects, I know that there's talks about them wanting to bring some kind of Destiny project to mobile. So that's one of them. But with this new IP, is there anything you're... Is there anything that in your head you're either excited to see them try or what you think they might do? Um, so there's two rumors that are swirling around uh, a marathon-esque reboot comeback multiplayer game, which is supposed to be more of a, like an evaction kind of a game mode. So more like DMZ, you would, I, I would say, in that kind of like multiplayer space. And then I also know that there's, supposed, there's a like rumored uh, project called Matter which is supposed to be more of a hero shooter overwatch two kind of thing. And I mean, like, again, I'm not that like live service is not my main thing. I guess Warzone technically in an aspect is live service, but I think it's a lot more bare bones and a lot less uh, demanding of your time as compared to most live service games. So I don't really view it the same way as that. But um, I mean, if those games come out and they're good, then I'll be interested in those two. I would I would be, I mean, it's not going to be fucking single player, but I would love for Bungie to get back into single player games. Well, I think the buy-in is when you talk about a live service game and saying that you're into Warzone and comparing it, I think that I, I agree with you because match-based live service games are a lot less intense in the sense that you're like, okay, well, I'll play a game of war. And yes, we know the Uno Mas yeah. can go into the wee hours of the morning. However, it's not a live service game in the sense that there is no end, so you don't really know when to drop it, especially if it's a game mm-hmm. that you're playing by yourself. But with 76 right now, I'm kind of in the mindset of like, once I hit the platinum, I'm done with it. I don't know that that's the case, but it could kind of go on forever. And so I definitely understand what you're saying. I like getting to a point where I'm like, okay, I'm done with this game now. If it's competitive, yeah. it's different. 
But PVE games that don't really end, I agree. Sometimes I'm like, I don't really know if I even want to get into this because I don't want to have this game become my new shit for a whole year. Yeah, because that's not why I play games. I play games to kind of experience new... I like Games are my number one form of media that I consume. So in a sense, I'm, I supplement my... I supplement that for my storytelling. So I don't really watch as many movies or watch as many TV shows. So I look to games for, to tell me a story. So like playing destiny two, I know destiny two beyond the light. That is an amazing story. I just leave your comments down below. I know. I know. It's beautiful. It's amazing. You believe it. It's, it's the greatest thing ever. Yeah, Yeah. Okay. I believe you, but I like a single player experience. Like even that's why, even though, you know, we're, close to protocol we've had we have our opinions but i did enjoy its its length it's, it's an experience i played it beat it i'm done with it i do i miss that kind of aspect of gaming and these live service games just turned me off because a the stories are not as good i i mean i i yeah i mean i can't really see anybody argue that live service games are better at telling stories than single player games are and then also like you said is this going to be my thing for a year? Am I playing Division 2 for a whole fucking year roaming around Washington, D.C. with tear gas? No, I'm not going to do that. That's, that's what you wanted to know the answer. You can just do that in real life, too. Just go to Washington, D.C. Just throw, you know, join a protest and just start throwing tear gas. You, know? you can do it in real life. You don't even got to play the game. That's true. <laughs> it's actually uh, funny. Unless you have... More that you wanted to say about Bungie, you said a number of things that we're going to get into. Definitely. Um, yeah, definitely with the upcoming story. But um, I mean, anything else about this? Um, I I thought it was weird uh, Yoshida saying about the this represents us making more of a step in multi-platform. I wonder how that correlates to PlayStation Core games. With their, I wonder if their live service first party developed games will also start being multi-platform. And I, I don't have an issue with that. I'm not one of the Sony ponies that are like holding, clutching my pearls at the fact that games may be released on this on different platforms the same day as it's like first party games. I was very animate about part one makes no sense if it wasn't day and date with PC. The only reason I wasn't like completely upset with part one because I knew it was eventually coming to PC. But I feel like a part last was part one, by the way, is what I'm referencing. I know I just said part one like I'm expecting everybody to know, but. Like last was part one, I wasn't that upset because I'm like, eh, PC doesn't have a version of it. They're probably making the PC version of The Last of Us. So why the fuck would I not also want that on PlayStation Five? So, um, if Sony does that, I think it's smart. Make some more money, and more money to invest in the games that we love. Yeah, that's true. Plus, it's um, when it's multiplayer games, you want the largest pool of players you can yeah. at at launch to keep it uh, vibrant. So. Yeah, kind of, yeah, basically talking about part one, right? So we've got a number of kind of various Naughty Dog news here. So this is a a little bit, I wrote this story a little bit different where there's a number of things I'm going to cover and we can kind of hit them one by one to talk about them because they kind of are all related, but it's not necessarily one story. Mm -hmm. So I don't know, maybe I should... I'm actually just going to go ahead and read all of it and then we can parse through it piece by piece. I feel like that might be the best way to do this, right? So Naughty Dog News, that's what we're calling this section. Now, number one, 
Naughty Dog has shared a new piece of concept art for the Last of Us multiplayer game. So they shared one piece of art previously, and they have now shown another piece of art kind of showcasing a, you know, uh, in their world version of the city that the game is going to be taking place in. And then a cruise ship kind of pulled up on the kind of coastline. And then now we also have a number of interviews. So I'm now going to get into number two. We have a number of interviews with Neil Druckmann kind of talking on all things The Last of Us and kind of talking about Naughty Dog as a whole. And so I'm hoping I'll go through these and then we can kind of formulate what we hear and be like, okay, what does this mean? So following a recent leak that we got and covered that The Last of Us Part 3 is in development, in an interview for the HBO Last of Us show, Neil Druckmann has said that when he's talking about Last of Us, he thinks that there is more story to tell. And he did go ahead and confirm that the debut season of the show will be covering Last of Us Part 1. And that a second season will cover the second game. So we now know that that is a little bit of new information in terms of when we might see this Last of Us Part 3 or whatever their next game is. He also continued on in this interview to talk about how Naughty Dog is looking to announce their games closer to when they launch to combat work-life balance issues they've had in the past. Uncharted 4 was revealed in 2013 and released in 2016, while The Last of Us Part 2 was revealed in 2016 and released in 2020. And in the past, he talks about how the studio has had issues kind of juggling multiple projects at the same time. They famously developed Uncharted 3 and Last of Us at the same time. And that was strenuous for the studio. And so after that, they kind of went to just doing one game at a time. But he did say that the commercial success of Last of Us Part 2 has allowed them to now have multiple projects in the works at the same time. And he talks about how they're working on the multiplayer game, which is not headed by him, but he is directing a new game. That's all he said. He didn't say new IP. He just said directing a new game, which could be Last of Us Part 3. So a lot of this is kind of like, what are we going to infer and when are we going to get it? And then talking about what you were saying earlier about the way that games kind of tell stories and how it's different in live store in live service games and how you might not watch as many movies, but you like to get your narratives from games, especially with how cinematic games can be. He, I wrote here, Dr. Uckman, that's like the, but Neil Druckmann, right? So Dr. Uckman, he also in, in one of these interviews was talking about his views on the way narratives are delivered in games recently. And he was saying that, He's recently been intrigued by games like Elden Ring and Inside that take a kind of they take an approach where it's kind of more reliant on the player and what they see in the world. Now, he made sure to say that this doesn't mean that they're going to cut out cutscenes or direct storytelling. He's just saying that what's interesting him most is story that's delivered in gameplay and kind of like notes and lore scattered out through the world. So that was the various things. And so looking at these kind of one by one, right? Did you see the concept art for the multiplayer game? Yeah, it looked like I I mean I, I don't know if they confirmed it, but I mean it's I think it's clearly uh, San Francisco. Um so that's interesting yeah. that's where the game's gonna take place. I just said city because I was like, he'll probably know. I don't want to yeah, say it, the wrong city. No, so. yeah, it's it's San Francisco, so that's cool. I think that that's interesting because again, we still don't know anything about it. So it could, like, no. in my mind now, San Francisco. I'm like, Washington D.C. is kind of a tight city too. 
it could be a division style thing because San Francisco is a pretty small city from like uh, from what I've heard from people that live there and visited. It's not it's not as expansive as like a New York or uh, L.A. It's not like a sprawling metropolis. It's more of a tight, compact thing like a D.C. So Division Two, I can see. Sadly, I can see the factions game becoming a live service thing. That's kind of like um, like a division style game. So that's all. I, that's only that's the only thing I really gleaned from that. It's kind of where I've been with the factions or with factions um since we since it's been delayed is that i've fully assumed this is now like it's obviously a full product that's going to be sold notes on but it's also going to be a live service game yeah so there's also a couple of uh, so i agree yeah it's one of those things where we don't know that much about it some of the other details that have come out about it i know is so when i was reading this first of all i was like oh they mean factions right and then i thought about it i was like well i guess they've never officially said it was called factions so I don't know if that is the title, but it's just kind of what we refer to it as. Now, they also said that this game will feature a new cast of characters and story, which for some reason I was like, that's cool. But I didn't think that that was going to be kind of the focus of it. And when they said that, I agree with you. It makes me think of like, okay, is this going to be more of a you're in this world, but you're kind of completing objectives division style, which I guess I am interested in. But the thing I'm most interested in is that since we didn't get a multiplayer with part two, I do want Last of Us core PvP. Mm-hmm. I definitely want that to be present there. And I think and it will so, have those elements of it, but I think that that's going to be a side. I don't think that's going to be the main game because you know how like Destiny, even De- uh, even Division, as we reference, like I feel like this is going to be much closer to Division kind of game than the original factions. But they have their sections where it is PvP, so I think I can see. I could see that being an aspect of this, but I don't think that's going to be the main thing. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think that whenever it comes out, it will be good. I will say that him speaking about them wanting to control work-life balance, meaning that they're going to announce the games closer to launch, makes me more excited for when it's going to come out, especially since he was like, well, we're going to give you more details later this year. So maybe it does come out at the end of the year. I guess that's not crazy, but in my head, I was just going with the same notion that they're going to announce it and then it's going to be a couple of years. But if it's Mm going to, you know, if they're going to announce it closer to when they launch, then great. I think ultimately, I think that when he said that, that ultimately can only be a positive in my mind. It might mean... I don't know if it'll mean that they'll take longer because they don't feel the pressure to finish the projects they're working on. But it's always a great feeling when you get a game announced and you're like, hey, it's also coming out this year. Because then you don't, or at least for me, I don't end up getting too excited and then it comes out and it might not be what I thought it was going to be and all that other bullshit. So I think that is a nice thing for him to say. And I think that I think that that's like a freedom they have just because they're Naughty Dog. I don't think a lot of other studios can even do that. I think it's a freedom that Naughty Dog has, but I think it's a freedom that Sony First Party has because their products sell and their products have quality always attached to them because I feel with the way Sony has been ever since the PS3 era, Naughty Dog leads the other studios follow. And all the other studios have been dead silent. Like, we have no idea what Sucker Punch is really working on. We have no idea what... Uh, I mean, we have an idea what Insomnia is working on, but we don't know what Santa Monica's next thing is. We don't know what, uh, what Polyphony is working on. Um, it's working on Grand Theft 7, but we don't know what the housemark... And, like, the future of Sony as a whole is kind of silent. So 
maybe not all the students. Maybe Sony's like, hey, look, everybody, until your game is like eight months to 12 months ready to be released, we're not talking about it at all. And so maybe this is just kind of a new approach that Sony's adopting that Naughty Dog is is uh, kind of leading the force and for, uh, the charge behind because because I mean yeah it is it is getting annoying when they like you're, you have the dates here Uncharted 4 revealed in 2013 or playing it in 2016 Last of Us Part 2 2016 2022 especially when you're talking about a studio that in the PlayStation 3 era released four like bangers I know that this is just probably a reading mistake but 2020 Part 2 didn't come out in 22 Oh, 2020. My bad. Still. But still, four years. That's a long time. Four years is a long time. It's, I mean, it's a lot longer than what we were, especially what, what the PlayStation audience was used to with Naughty Dog. And part two was delayed. Yeah. It was like, but yeah, still, it was like yeah, legitimately agreed, delayed. So. And I know Uncharted 4 was reworked in the middle of it. They had an internal struggle with Amy Heading and all that. So hopefully the work-life balance, hopefully the culture within the studio is like a lot more subtle and more like especially with bruce stepping out it's now settled and it's kind of like like uh, naughty dog has now i feel like taken the um taken like it's taken its identity from uh neil Druckmann. like he is the face of the studio clear face there's no internal struggle between amy heading bruce Shaley. like this isn't uh neil Druckmann's studio and this is what's going to be what he says Absolutely. So, and then he goes on to talk a little bit about the show. And so, me and you have kind of guessed that this was going to be the case that first season would be the first game, and second season, which I guess they're already kind of saying there will be a second season, will be the second game. It go, it's going to debut at the end of this week, and it has mostly positive reviews. Can I? Get, what's the gut check on it? I mean, I'm excited. I think. I think. I mean, you can't trust the hype, you know. You don't want to be disappointed, but I am very yeah. happy that the hype is good because the hype can also be like, this is the worst thing ever. It's an, it's an embarrassment to last of us. I didn't think it was going to be because HBO is tied to it. HBO makes, you know, very good shows. Neil Druckmann is intimately uh, working on the project. So he's going to make sure that the game, that the game is represented in a good light. So I, I mean, I think it's going to be a fantastic show, a fantastic retelling. It's gonna be like kind of like a Final Fantasy VII S remake of the game, I, 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 of the yeah True. of the game story. I hope. Yeah, I'm. I mean, I'm also really excited for it. I think I know what you're saying though with being careful with the hype because I know like we saw in in our one of our group chats that somebody posted that it has a 97 on Rotten Tomatoes at the time, certified fresh. Now certified it's fresh. important to remember that Rotten Tomatoes is like you know thumbs up or thumbs down and then it aggregates it that's how you get that percentage Mm -hmm. but in the description that was posted on rotten tomatoes i know it said something about you know this is this stands among i think it says it stands among the best video game adaptations which for some reason to me sounds a little backhanded where i'm like that's great but there aren't a lot of good video game adaptations i was really more so hoping that they just said like stands among some of the best tv shows ever made mm-hmm. which honestly isn't wouldn't really be that much of a stretch for an hbo series so yeah that was just for some reason that caveat of stands with the best video game adaptations i was like okay well i don't really know what that means but i am still excited i am still excited knowing that 
they're not going to fundamentally change the story. They want to enrich the story and tell parts of it that we don't know, which is exciting. Now, I don't know for sure because I'm just going to have to go ahead and find out, but I do think there are pieces of the story that are, or the world that are altered just Mm -hmm. for differentiation's sake but that will be okay i think ultimately i am excited and any interviews that i've seen with uh bella ramsey and pedro pascal they seem really friendly in real life and that makes me i mean even if that's a pr thing it makes me comfortable and confident for like their relationship is the most important part of it of the whole story so yeah i'm excited for it characters back to life they can have that relationship that on screen that's all that really matters I do also think that they're doing everything but officially confirming that there's going to be a Last of Us Part 3. I think so, too. I think that they're doing everything they can. And I also, with the show, I have... Well, I don't know. I have a guess for something that they're going to do. What? You think, you think it might be a spoiler, should- well, I don't know, because what if it happens? What if it does? I mean, I have no information. I just I just thought of something, and I was like, I wonder if this is a thing. What? What do you think it is? Just, Would you like yeah. me to say it, or should I just yeah. not say hypothesize? It. Hypothesize. You don't know anything now, about the show. If it's right, we'll kill you. It's fine. My hypothesis is that we know that Bill... And Frank are going to be in the show, and we know that when we see Frank in the game, he's hang or he hung himself, right? And he left a note. Mm-hmm. My guess is that Bill killed Frank, and they're going to show that in the show. Oh, that could be interesting. I mean, there was a little bit of the turmoil in those uh, notes when you're collecting them in the house. Yeah, so that, I mean that that could be an interesting way that plays and out. In Bill. This. Bill seems upset, but it makes sense in the game when it's like he's upset because that was his lover. But I, I don't know. I just because I, I know that they have both characters, and I was just like, what could they do with them? And in my head, I'm like, I mean, it could be really fun to watch. Like, oh shit! Actually, maybe like Bill killed him, or some shitty thing happened there, and then he just kind of staged it because it's Bill's town. Who else would mm-hmm. know? That's true. I mean, he could cover it all up. Clearly, like you said, it's his but, town. That's that's uh that's that's just my guess, but I'm excited for the show. I am I am uh, excited to watch it. I am very excited too. Also, um, do you? So, what do? You, how are you feeling? Last of Us Part Three is, like I said, basically been confirmed. I feel like they've also are saying like we're not going to announce anything until it's uh basically done. Basically, being like wink, wink. We're working on the Last of Us Part Three. Like even with their, even with the like, I feel like they almost fumbled with. They almost spoiled it. Like with uh, talking about the games, you know, I heard talking about the show, yeah, like the seasons. Agreed. Like they're like, oh, uh, yeah, it would be season three. Well, and, what season three cover? And they made sure they also he made sure to say that you know season one part one, season two part two. But then he also made sure to say that they are not going to be telling any new stories in the show they're only adapting the games so they have to wait for the so game to that come also out. In, yeah exactly in my head that's also like okay well you're just gonna release the game yeah because if this I show mean, is I, great I, that's, yeah. that's what i'm saying if this show is great and hbo is like all right i order four seasons of the show you need to now make two more games or another game at least you know i don't think they go f- I, hbo i think is a little bit different with like that where they're not going to demand seasons out of it unless it, it, the story needs it 
but they could be like, hey, season two, I you know, it's going to end on a cliffhanger. We know how part two ends. Not in a cliffhanger, but I, how would you say it's a cliffhanger? I feel like I it have. has cliffhanger. I would agree. I think it's, it's cliffhanger, right? I think I think it's a cliffhanger. I think yes. so. I so think that the description that we heard that part one was fine on its own, but now that you made a part two, we kind of do need a part three. I agree with that. Yeah. So that's kind of just a, that's kind of the scenario that we're stuck in. And I do, I think the show's going to do really well because I think people outside of games are going to, they're going to experience this story for the first time. Last of us is a pinnacle in gaming. It's like widely regarded as one of the best games ever made. So I think that, like I said earlier, where I'd like to take my narratives from games, but I think this can easily work well in a TV show. It's going to give you enough time to sit with the characters and not rush through the experience. The TV show could possibly be longer than the first game, depending on how the hours play out. And it's nine episodes. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it could be. I mean, even if they're an hour, nine hours, that's pretty close to like game time. What would you say? The original Last of Us, I would say probably like 13, 15. I think that from what I read review wise, you know, like it is an excellent show, but it feels just it feels well paced, but if not a little rushed, just in the sense that it is nine episodes. But remember that the those nine episodes are covering oh, season or covering sorry last of us part one. They're also covering left behind, and then they're also adding in information that we don't know. Yeah. yeah so so we're gonna mm. see, and then kind of with this Naughty Dog stuff, just with the talking about the narratives and how yeah, it is the pinnacle. It's one of those cinematic just masterpieces. With Neil Druckmann kind of talking about his views on like he's being intrigued by non traditional storytelling. That's fine. And I know that some people like to, I would say more so just kind of bitch and complain about being like, oh, every Sony game is the same third person cinematic. And while, yeah, it's absolutely true that there are similar elements. I mean, I don't know. It's just good. It's kind of like movies. Like you're not going to say some stupid shit like, oh, all movies are trying to tell a story. Like it's just kind of how it is. You know what I mean? Sometimes you can't, change that now i'm saying that in the sense too that i'm like i hope that he doesn't kind of get goaded into that and he's like okay well i want to do more non-traditional stuff and it's like no 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 you have a very clear strength that's like if if hideo if uh hideo kojima was like i want to try non-traditional storytelling i'd be like no give me my fucking 30 to 45 minute cutscenes. that's what you're here for i mean that's not traditional in its own sense i think (laughs) yeah i agree it's yeah it's this long form yeah but I think also with uh, like Neil Druckmann getting goaded, I don't think he will because A, he created that problem within Sony. All the other games are like The Last of Us seeped into the other games. It's not the other way around. So I don't think that he has an issue with that. And B, his games already have this. There's a whole story about Ish in the first game that if you do not collect any collectibles, which he was talking about the game being telling stories through the environments and collectibles, you don't know who this person is, but everybody who played the game and found the collectibles and followed the paths and all that stuff know exactly who Ish is. So I was a little confused when he said that because I'm like, this is already present in the games. I mean, it's not the only way the story is being told, but the 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 collectibles in Last of Us add a lot of context to the world too. Yeah, I mean, I fully agree. I don't have much more to add. I just agree 100%. Yeah. So I think I think we're good off the Naughty Dog Power Hour. 
All right, cool. Yeah, I know that was a lot. It was just, I figured even though it was small, different kind of disparate pieces of information, it would all kind of add up to be a nice discussion. And I thought it was. So moving along here, uh, PlayStation has unveiled their Project Leonardo accessibility controller. Announced during a CES presentation on Wednesday, Sony Interactive Entertainment CEO Jim Ryan said Project Leonardo would help players with disabilities to play more easily and comfortably. Through conversations with accessibility experts and incredible organizations like Able Gamers, Special Effect, and StackUp, we've designed a highly configurable controller that works in tandem with many third-party accessibility accessories and integrates with the PS5 console to open up new ways of gaming. Project Leonardo can be used as a standalone controller or paired with additional Project Leonardo or DualSense wireless controllers. Up to two Project Leonardo controllers and one DualSense wireless controller can be used together in a single on a, as a single virtual controller. Now, just briefly here, in the same CES presentation, Jim Ryan kind of talks about how Sony is, you know, continually working to provide these excellent experiences. And then he did kind of give a little glimpse at Gran Turismo 7 having PSVR 2 support at launch. And so I thought that was pretty sick. I thought that it was a nice... First of all, the controller just looks... It just looks really cool. I think that's just mm-hmm. part of like how Sony kind of maybe over-designs, but how they, they make sure that their hardware looks good. So the controller looks really cool. And it's one of those things where it's kind of only a positive. Now you're going to have more people being able to play these games. There's really... That's only a good thing. And then... The fact that they're saying GC7 has PSVR 2 support for free and at launch, I think, is really fantastic. Uh, Yeah, I mean, like you said, with the sleek design, I think PlayStation, especially in the PS5 era, is leaning into like their Apple-esque quality in terms of like all the all of the the PlayStation 5 console and everything tied to it looks like it belongs like how similar how apple all of the products aesthetically flow within each other and they look like they belong like even when it comes down to controllers the charging for the controllers the new playstation vr headset um even the in in zone even though it's not technically playstation it's sony in zone all the new uh headsets and stuff like that even the monitors all have the blades of what the playstation 5 have so they're kind of definitely like you said leaning into that cool aesthetic I love it. The controller looks dope. Um, I am interested to see how much it is because it does look very expensive. It does. That's true. I wonder if it's going to be a full controller purchase or if it's piece by piece because it looks like it's modular. That's true. I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't have much to say. I'm not going to get much use out of this. I have all my uh, motor functionalities at the moment. But this is cool for when I get older and I'm just an old man. I'm just going to lay it. I can lay it flat on my on my lap and just tap away and play games. I mean, yeah, it just looks cool. I mean, I'm sure that there will be well, maybe not, but you always see people playing games in like non-traditional ways, doing crazy mm-hmm. stuff. Like I know somebody recently beat Elden Ring with like two DDR pads, but it was two separate games too. Not that I'm saying that this is the same thing, but just... People will always find a way to have fun with non-traditional methods of controlling it. So, like, I'm sure there are people that will get use out of this if you're either for the accessibility reasons or if you're a collector or stuff like that. It just kind of looks cool. And then, depending on price, it would be interesting to just like kind of purchase it to to 
interact with it. It does look like it does look interesting to interact with, but again, it does. I mean, the dual at dual edge, I believe, is the new controller. Mm-hmm. That's like two hundred something dollars. Yeah. Plus, even though he talks about GT Seven getting a free upgrade, that's a five hundred and fifty dollar upgrade. You got to get a VR headset for that, you know. So <laughs> that let's shit go ahead be and free. just. Yeah. yeah, let's just say it how it is. I mean, it's not like, oh, you're getting a PS4 or PS5 free upgrade bump. Nah, you got to get a whole ass VR headset. So, I mean, it's still cool that they said that. And then I was saying that Joel, with his uh, massive generosity, got me a Logitech G29 for my birthday. It would be insane if I had that and this fucking VR headset. But oh, you'd be tapped gotta take in care of some real. other things before that. Yeah, I would be tapped in. That's true. I That'd think be that amazing. with. I think with Need for Speed Unbound, one of the reasons I'm playing it a little bit slowly is I kind of wish it had wheel support. Yeah, it was shocking when you told me that because, like, you, you, like, I mean, like, you can use the wheel, but it doesn't have, like, the force feedback and all that yeah. stuff. Correct. Yeah, exactly. But, um, Sad. so let's go ahead and move on here. And the, this was the second part of what I wanted to get back to with something you were saying earlier. You had mentioned the division. And so we're going to talk about Ubisoft now. So this came out today that Ubisoft has canceled three unannounced games and delayed Skull and Bones for the sixth time. (laughs) So Ubisoft has announced that Skull and Bones is receiving another delay and they're canceling three more unannounced games among amidst major challenges in the industry, the underperformance of Mario and Rabbids and Just Dance 2023 and an upcoming restructuring. Ubisoft also canceled four games last year and has been delaying their Avatar game and Skull and Bones repeatedly. One of those canceled games was Ghost Recon Frontline, which had a negative reception kind of upon announcement, and I think that they canceled it for that. And so this next part is kind of just a hunch, but I would assume I think isn't X Defiant something that they've been working on that was not really hotly received. I would imagine that's probably one of the games they're going to cancel if it's Mm -hmm. kind of following the same methodology with Ghost Recon Frontline. So... That's what I think what's going on there. Ubisoft has said that they're targeting between April and December 2023 for Skull and Bones at the moment. However, this a lot of this information came up in an investor call about how they're just kind of not doing so hot financially. And during that investor call, Ubisoft said that in the next fiscal year, which will begin in April 2023, the next fiscal year will contain Avatar Frontiers of Pandora, Assassin's Creed Mirage, and other premium unannounced games including a large one and that was the quote and they also they didn't mention so first of all they didn't mention skull and bones in that list they also said other premium unannounced games without a number and said including a large one although i think ubisoft is mostly known for making large games so i don't really know what that means but one thing i wanted to say with this is just that I know that Ubisoft can get a lot of flack, right, for some of the games that they deliver feeling like you're, oh, you're in an open world and you're, it's a chore list and stuff like that. But with the Ghost Recon Frontline cancellation, that one for some reason feels me- weird to me where I understand if a game gets a negative reception when you first announce it, you might want to work on it before you release it. But it doesn't make a lot of sense to me to cancel it as a whole especially when we live in an era where there are a lot of examples of games coming out in shit states and then rebuilding and then ending up being something special later. So it feels like they kind of are, they're preemptively kind of cutting themselves off. You know what I mean? Cause I know that ghost recon frontline was a free to play game. So you're not even 
it's not even like you're missing out on the dollar amounts people would be buying the game. Maybe you don't want to pay for servers, but I don't know. It just seems weird to me. I feel like you just release the game and if it's panned, then it's panned. But if people don't like the way a trailer looks and you cancel the game, what does that really say about the company? Yeah, I mean, this isn't, it's shocking because Ubisoft is big, but then on the other hand, it's not shocking because I feel like every, not every game, I would say a majority of the Ubisoft games that have been released have not. I mean, obviously, this is, this is evident with this recent sales call, but they just don't sell anymore. Like the Immortal or not. What is it? Uh, the Phoenix Rising, that that weird God game mm-hmm. that didn't sell. That was on sale for twenty dollars the next month. Uh, every single Watch Dogs after Watch Dogs one did not sell at all. Um, the only things that really sell are Far Cry and Assassin's Creed. And the division two, I don't know if it's in a good state or bad state, but the community isn't even strong enough for me to know that. Because if there's a strong community, they would either be complaining or praising, and it's just kind of silent. So this is not shocking. It's shocking because Ubisoft is so big and has like been known to make such big games. But it looks like they're canceling off, slimming down, and it looks like they're honestly preparing themselves to be purchased. And yeah, we do I know agree. that Tencent is actively investing in them and that there were stipulations with their last major investment that behold them and like basically delay their inevitable purchase of Ubisoft. But Ubisoft looks like it's going to be purchased by Tencent. Maybe not this year or next year, but by 2024, I could see that happening. Or they definitely when they, yeah, when they say restructuring, they definitely have some shit to figure out because I just want to bring to light and kind of refresh everyone's memory on the fact that, I believe they were trying to work with Universal to have an Assassin's Creed theme park. That was a thing at some point. I remember that being a story. And then I guess you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I remember that being like an in the talks kind of thing. And then in addition to that, you have them talking about Assassin's Creed Infinity, but then also showing three different Assassin's Creed games, which doesn't instill a lot of confidence. And to kind of top all of that off, I would say that I would say that I completely forgot where I was going, but okay. uh, yeah, I did forget where I was going. No worries. I can and here up. we are. I can pick it. I can pick it but up if you need me to. But, even, um, even, even regardless from there. Yeah. It's kind of, you're, you're kind of stuck with Assassin's Creed and not really knowing like a direction of where they're heading. And so like that alone should be kind of worrisome. Yeah, I mean, Ubisoft is just not a major player anymore. And and we've seen this happen with publishers in the past. They ebb and flow. Square Enix was in a bad place. Capcom was in a bad place. They all they rebounded. So I'm assuming I'm just kind of assuming that Ubisoft is in a bad space. I hope they don't get purchased from outside uh, foreign investment and they will eventually rebound because they have a plethora of IP that as long as one of those games hits in a way that they needed to hit, they can, they can bounce the company back. I agree. I also remembered what I was going to say. Part of this story that I didn't uh, actually write because it's kind of just like gibberish is, you know, when you're watching a game presentation and they're talking about, you know, Oh, we didn't bring the, we're going to massage the, the player's balls in an experience you've never <laughs> seen. Right. When I talk about shit like that in this, I know in the investor call, they said something about how, the competition is kind of like you know difficult but they were like 
saying that let me go ahead and read it because i remember i was reading it and i was like i'm not even going to write this because the way that it's worded was so, so they weird. said that exactly they said that the company is facing major challenges as the industry continues to shift towards mega brands and long-lasting titles and can reach players from across the globe, across platforms, and business models. The fuck does that even mean other than they're making games that people want to play? You know what I mean? When I hear stuff like that, I think like, yeah, the ship is drowning. Yeah, it's just not a, it's not a good look. And the ship is literally drowning. Skull and Bones is nowhere to be seen. And I am also honestly shocked that they just haven't um, canceled it. Write it off in your taxes. Do some like Warner Brothers shit. What they did with Batgirl, like this ain't working. Like, there's no way they're gonna make their money back on this game, and there's no way also this game is going to be good. So at this point, it's like just cut bait and kind of because like you said, they're canceling stuff based on the bad reception for Ghost Recon Frontline off of a trailer. But nobody believes in Skull of Bones. What I don't know what they think Skull of Bones is gonna be, but we're all expecting it to be a basically one third of the combat of an Assassin's Creed game, the whole game. That's the whole game. So yeah. Fully agree. Ubisoft's not in a good space right now, I would say. But at least I got to enjoy Far Cry 6. You know, that might be the last great game I play for them, honestly, because I can just I like I said, I can just see them bowing out. Not bowing out, they're gonna be releasing products, but they're not gonna be a major player in this generation, clearly. Agreed. It looks like, uh, you know, if we don't have Ubisoft, though, it looks like we've got a nice list of some other stuff that will be available to us. Yeah, this is for the uh, January's PlayStation Plus game catalog and classic titles have been announced, ladies and gents. So for the PlayStation Plus Extra, this is the middle tier. Um, We have, looks like 13, or do we have 13 total games? And then we have nine games coming to the Extra. So there's a few interesting games in here, but let's just uh, list them all out and then we can just, you know, pick and choose which ones stood out to you. But uh, coming to the service is Back for Blood. It will be available on PS4 and PS5. Uh, Dragon Ball Z Fighters will be coming out only on PS4. Devil May Cry 5 will be coming out on PlayStation 5. And then Life is Strange. One of my one of my favorites from last gen is a PS4 and Life is Strange Before the Storm, which is a prequel to Life is Strange, also coming out on PS4. Sayonara Wild Hearts. I know a banger that Mark likes coming out on PS4. Jet the Far Shore is also coming out on PS4 and PS5. And then Just Cause 4 Reloaded is coming out on PS4 and PS5. Only is also coming out on PS4. Erica is also coming out on PS4. And then that's it for the extra games. And then for the uh, premium catalog, which is the backwards compatibility um, for PlayStation 1 and PlayStation PlayStation Portable games, we got three PlayStation 1 games this month. And we got Siphon Filter 3, Star Wars Demolition, and Hot Shots Golf 2. So... Did uh, any of those games stick out to you? I know a few Back for Blood stuck out for me. Sayonara Wild Hearts, I could finally dive into it because I know you're you're a fan of that one, but the PlayStation 1 games didn't really left much to be desired. Star Wars Demolition sounds a little interesting if it has trophies, but what about you? Anything caught your eye? 
Yeah, easy. So back for blood. Devil mm-hmm. May Cry 5, specifically because I purchased Devil May Cry 5 on PS4, but I didn't get to it. And then, you know, we got our PS5s, but it, it was not a free upgrade. It would have been a $40 charge. So I didn't, I haven't done that. And mm-hmm. so this will be excellent. I'm really looking forward to that. Then kind of continuing on here, back in the premium games, I am excited for Hot Shots Golf 2. I downloaded the first one and I'm going to get into that probably soon siphon filter i mean it's nice that they're adding more of them and i know that these are since they're first party these are the ones that are getting supported with trophies and i'm all over that considering these trophy lists normally are not that difficult too which is nice not saying that they're like gimme gimmies, but i mean think about it naturally too these games are kind of older so there's not as much stuff for them to ask of you so a lot of these trophy lists are kind of just like complete the game and have fun with it so i'm excited to get to that and then the rest of the list, I would I not say I, I don't have too much. I mean, Erica was given out as a plus game. Sign our wild hearts. Yeah, I played too, Life is Strange. Also. Yeah, I think it was. Now, something I actually, I will say I am interested with that, seeing Just Cause 4 Reloaded. I didn't know there was a PS5 version of it. I thought Just yeah. Cause 4 was only a PS4. So, I mean, regardless, I know that I owned that. But in summary, Back for Blood. Devil May Cry 5 and Hotshot Skull 2. For me, I would say pretty good month, especially Back for Blood, because it was a game I was always interested in, especially after playing the beta. But I just, I, I don't know, I was never going to buy it because it's one of those games where, like, you kind of do need people to play with. Yeah. So it's tough to get, it's tough to have your friends. Yeah, I'm talking about my friends. They're all right here in front of me, right? But it's tough to get your <laughs> friends to buy into a game that you know is not good. You know what I mean? Like, I can't sell it like it's Gran Turismo. I'm like, I know this game kind of sucks. I can't really ask you to spend 60 on it. So that's for me, though. I think that's uh, I think it's a pretty solid month. Yeah. I mean, we played the Back for Blood beta, and I know I was not very hot about the game. I was very pissed off at the whole card system, which is what differentiates it from um, Left 4 Dead, which is what the studio's previous work was, and this is kind of a spiritual successor to Left 4 Dead. But... Uh, like like Fallout seventy six, these live service games they they do get better with time. So maybe now when we go back to Back for Blood, a, f- a year, a little bit, a little over a year's passed. Maybe they maybe they change some things. Maybe more content, more meat on the bones. It's a, it's a little bit more of a fleshed out experience, and we can get we can get to hunting some zombies. Yeah, agreed. But um, that's all we have to say. We can look into the future for some uh unannounced games some more unannounced games on top of the bungee unannounced games so uh footage of a and the ubisoft unannounced games and all the ubisoft unannounced games and then some of the games they announced that ain't coming out like beyond good and evil 2 <laughs> and all the but, new uh, year's shit that was just everyone coming out to say they're working like i'm glad oh, but yeah. what are you working on nothing so um what I was hinting at was uh, there's been footage of an unannounced Sony shooter uh, leaking out onto the internet. Uh, so this video just, it's very brief. It was about five seconds and it just shows a character walking towards a balcony while a large creature climbs the side of a building. It is claimed that the footage is from a sci-fi third person shooter that is being developed in unreal engine five. Also, the project is allegedly being worked on through XDev with an unknown external studio. And notable leaker Dusk Gollum has claimed that they have seen a lot more of the game and the footage is from an older build. 
There are a few details on the game, but it is known that Sony is looking to create more live service games. So this title could be a part of that strategic realignment. Uh, Mark, have you seen the footage? I have seen the footage and I, I would assume that it's an early build just because when you see the footage, it looks very, Polygonal. looks very 2009 where yeah. it's also like, it just like uh, all the shades of Brown that you could think mm-hmm. of. But I will say it hit me with a little bit more nostalgia than I was expecting where I was like, you know what? I'm about it. I could see myself getting into a 50 shades of Brown shooter like the old days, you know, (laughs) I, you know, if it's, if it's third person and it's, it's focused on now for me, this is what I want. I don't think this is too much to ask if they're going to do a shooter. I have one, one request, have an interesting selection of weapons that's the only thing I ask. You can have a shit story. You can have an oddly structured whatever. Have interesting weapons and you will stand out. I thought that's what made Resistance really good. I thought that's what made Killzone really interesting. Halo. You know, when you think of anything that's not just the traditional Call of Duty or Battlefield, I feel like what sets them apart is the kind of weaponry you use. So, But it yeah. looks cool, right? I mean, we know... We know, like, we didn't see the GTA videos and we were like, oh, this game looks like shit. We know that games go through a lot of different phases. So I didn't see it and think, like, hey, this game looks awful. I was just like, oh, it's probably an early build, but hey, cool. Um, a Sony shooter, I'll take it. I mean, yeah, that's the one thing that I think is very much lacking from the first party games is that there's no there's no shooters and there's no shooter studios or games that or studios that make shooters. So we used to have that with Gorilla and Insomniac, but they have not gone on to their respective Horizon and Spider-Man franchises or Marvel franchises. But uh, this, I mean, it looks cool. I mean, I would like to know a developer attached to it. Like you said, when I did see it, it did give me that PS3 era kind of vibe with all the, the coloring and everything. It gave me, honestly, a lot of Mass Effect vibes, the way his armor looked. It kind of looked like Mass Effect-y. Um, it looked more single player to me. I don't know if you g- gained that too. It looked more single player than it did multiplayer. So. so that so that's interesting. If it's a single player shooter, I would fucking love that. I thought it looked like we were seeing a small clip from either a boss fight or from like a set piece. Those yeah. are the two things I thought. Yeah, so I mean, there's not really much to go off of. I mean, it's another game out there in the wild. Again, it's adding to the mystery the mystery behind Sony and like all these projects these 12 are these 12 live service games what is going on in the first party so it's another thing that i'm hoping to see eventually at this uh this legend now of a showcase that people have been hinting at for at the end of every single month so hopefully we get this we hear about it soon i mean it has somewhat of a build to it if they have if they like uh this leaker dusk Gollum said that he's seen more footage of the game so it's it's a project. It's being real. Hopefully, it doesn't get canceled in like the back end though, and then we never see it come to light. But more games, more games is better than no game, do you know? But uh, moving on here, so uh, Sony says PS Five has cleared thirty million sales after its biggest month yet. Uh, Jim Ryan announced a sales milestone during their CES showcase. Sony has sold 10.7 million units in its current fiscal year and plans to sell another 7.3 million 
by the end of fiscal year, which ends in March of this year. And also another thing that I didn't write down here was, um, oh my God, I completely just forgot what I was writing. I forgot what I was going to say, but you go on, Mark. I don't know if... I don't know. So I'll go ahead and take over for a second. I don't know if this is what you were thinking of, but... I know that, so with this new goal, I know that information has kind of leaked on the internet that there will be new bundles for uh, PS5. And so the new bundles will include either the disc version or the digital version. And the only difference is that these bundles have two controllers instead of one controller. So that's just, I know that that's something also soon that we will see. Oh, and Jim Ryan announced that the supply shortage is officially over. You should be able to get a PS5, no problem. That's what I was thinking of. Perfect. But yeah, 30 million sales. That's, I mean, that's pretty solid, especially with supply constraints. Um, PlayStation 5, I mean, I think it, it would have clearly sold more than that if they, if they could have, but 7.3 million units in about three months, three, four months. That's pretty, it's pretty crazy. I Tip think it could honestly up. sell. Yeah, I think it could too. I, I don't even think that that's the, that crazy, especially if they're available. Yes. And I think that we have, I mean, if if we're talking about March, I don't know if fiscal year ends March 1st or March 31st, 31st but you have, some, yeah, you have some bangers in the next few months that are going to move systems. There are a lot of people, now these aren't exclusive, but there are a lot of people that are really excited about Hogwarts Legacy, and mm-hmm. there are a lot of people that are really excited about Resident Evil 4, and I can see those being two games that could move systems that could get people to be like, okay, well now I, I want to get this new thing. So PSVR I don't think two? That, that, yeah, PSVR two. I think that, I don't think that it's crazy to have that as a goal. So, I mean, good on them, right? It's, it's a, it's a, it's, it's only a positive. I mean, it's selling like crazy. Something that kind of random I just thought of is if you're new or you're going to get a PS5, I was talking with my oldest brother, Matt, recently. He just got a PS5 and he was asking me if he should have it vertical or horizontal. And my recommendation would be horizontal, although I know that there are different like viewpoints on this just because I, I brought my system over to Joel's recently and I had mine vertical and I, I touched it and I was like, wow, it's really hot. And then I did some looking on the internet and I also just thought about it because I don't know why I didn't... Mine always lays horizontal, but I didn't think about this before. If you have it vertical, the way that the system is designed would mean that anything in the air or any dust falling would go directly into the system because the vents are open at the top. Mm. But I think some testing could be done, but just a heads up, I don't know, you know, if you get a new one, do you want to do vertical or horizontal? It seems like I'm seeing more things saying it's good to have horizontal if you care about that kind of stuff. I personally also just kind of abuse my system. Like, I'm just going to play it until it dies and then I'll get another one, but just wanted to throw that out there. As a new... I know, you have yours vertical. For some reason, I... Yeah, for some reason, I feel like... I don't know. The way that you have it, I feel like is not that big of a deal. You're probably fine. Again, it's like it's one of those things where it's like a recommendation, but it's not like you're going to get it vertical and then your shit's just going to die immediately. It's one of those. If you're curious about it, here's the data behind it. Yeah. And also, I like just it's easier for me to get it out of there when I I move my console a lot going in between my place and my girlfriend's place. So having it horizontal and having like to dig through like, you know, a uh, cabinet and all that stuff it's just a little bit harder removing hdmi cables and all that stuff so and also the vertical is kind of how we were presented it you know that's how it was 
first showcase to us. And I feel like the it is Sony designed. Wi-Fi router. Yeah, exactly. It is designed to look. It's designed to be vertical in terms of like aesthetics. So I like how it looks, even though it is behind my TV. Yeah, and I'm a child, and I put stickers all over mine and put it horizontal. Well, I think the stickers are cool because I mean, I appreciate it's like, that. You know, you know I, 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 I think can, it's cool. My, my reasoning is I can always snap them off if I wanted to put clean ones on there. That's true. I mean, I wanted to put stickers on, but now I feel like I'll be like copying you too much to put stickers because I saw you do it. I was like, oh, it looks cool. I kind of want to put stickers on mine, but then I'm like, I don't want to just copy what Mark did. So, hey, if you want to do it, you can do it. No, 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 no. That's you. You have the stickered console. I want to buy the new plates. I want to get it all blacked out. There you go. To to match my black controller. Just get it all blacked out and leave it vertical, and you'll have the Honda Civic PS5. That shit will be roaring in a year. All the dust in there. Fucking 3 a.m. like a Civic. I'll just dismantle it like all the YouTube engineers tell me to do and just fucking dust it out. Dude. I don't know if yeah if I'm gonna c- catch some slack for that, but I feel like when people talk about that stuff, it's kind of bullshit when they're like, "Oh, you don't open your PS5 and clean out the fan." Fuck no, I don't do that. Why do you think I have yeah. a console and not a PC? I let exactly. them build it and I'll play it. I'm not the tech guy. I press power on the controller; it turns on. I'm not trying to fucking do. If I can, I get pissed off when I have to update my controller and have to physically get up and plug it in. All right, so. You're yeah. asking me too much if you want me to dismantle it. I, I thought it, I was building a PC when I installed my SSD, and that's removing one screw. Yeah. And if you look at my the front of my console where you plug in a USB, you would think that my fucking right hand doesn't work with how many like scratches are on it. Now, I blame the material, to be honest, that it's, it's like that glossy black. black. Nothing should be piano yeah, black. Just I like, hate piano black. Yeah. Just looks all scratched up. Like I don't know how the fuck to put the USB in there, but... Anyway, if you want a PS5, it's nice that you can go out and get one now. Yeah, J- Crying Jim wants you to buy them. He's telling you that he's got them for you. And he loves that you're buying them. He's, he's, they're selling like hotcakes. And make sure, like, you know, you, you fill car- Crying Jim's wallet up. Your PSN account comes with a free upgrade, and you can use your PSN account on the PS5 too. And you didn't hear free my upgrade. voice crack there. That was a figment yeah. of your imagination. That'll be clipped out. That's going to be in the beginning of the show now. So that's perfect. <laughs> but um, maybe Mark has fallen to the pressure. That's why his voice is cracking. But you know who else has fallen to the pressure? Bluebertine. And so in a recent interview, Bluebertine has mentioned that they are feeling high pressure to deliver with its Silent Hill 2 remake. So... Following months of anticipation, Konami announced in October that the Polish studio behind the medium Layers of Fear and Blair Witch was remaking the 2001 survival horror game for uh, PS5 and PC. In a new interview with Dread XP, Bloober's chief marketing officer, Anna, Justice, we're going to say Anna, that's her first name and her last name, I'm sorry, Miss Anna, I do not know how to pronounce that. I'm not Polish said the company uh, overcame many other studios to land the dream project, an outcome which she said left it feeling both overjoyed and apprehensive. In 2019, Bluebird was invited by Konami to participate in the Tokyo Game Show, where the publisher asked the studio to prepare a concept for a remake. And I was quoted as saying in that uh, interview, of course we weren't the only contenders. Many other studios were were vying for 
cooperation as well. But in the end, our concept was the one that sold, uh, stole Konami's heart. They recognized our commitment and passion for horror, and that alone was an enormous distinction for us. As for apprehension, yes, the pressure is high since we're dealing with one of the best psychological horror games ever made. We want to stick close to the original, and we will put it in the spotlight for years to come. And said the studio is modernizing the game where needed, but taking a very safe approach to any changes it makes. We are focusing on bringing the distinct visceral atmosphere back to the, back in the modernized Silent Hill 2. Longtime fans shouldn't worry about us missing the point while we're uh, livening up the title. We're fi- faithfully sticking to the traditional story canon while remaking the gameplay and updating the graphics from the ground up. These are the reasons why Konami entrusted us with the remake in the first place. So that was, that was a lot, but um, I thought it was very interesting. I thought it was interesting how they picked a team to make Silent Hill 2. There's like a little competition. That's kind of cool. And I want to know who else was in the room. I also want to know. Yeah, I wonder who else. I feel That's like the like that. I, to people. Agreed. Yeah, Red Barrels. That would be really yeah. cool. That, that's what I, that, my first thought when I read this story was just, I want to know who was in that room. I wish, uh, it's kind of like as, um, as Colin from Sacred Symbols says, where he's like, you know, to be a fly on the wall in that room, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. It's definitely a situation where it would be so cool to number one, see who was competing for it, but then also to see what is the, what is the either vertical slice or what is the concept that they showed that would win them over to be like, hey, okay, we're going to go with you to do this. Because Bluebird team is feeling high pressure and they should. You're dealing with like arguably the best survival horror game ever made according to like a lot of people's kind of critical top lists. And so I hope they that do an excellent job. coming but, at the end of this month. Uh, yeah, I, I think that, <laughs> yeah, it's just, they. I mean, yeah. I'm saying a lot to basically say I'm I'm excited. I think that they should feel high pressure, and I really would love to know who else was in the room. Yeah, I mean, I do. I also like that we kind of gleaned from this that they are sticking to the game. You know, they're not really fucking it up, which is good because it seems like, from what I've heard, I haven't really played any of Bluebird Team's prior work, but they do apparently create great atmosphere, and that's kind of like one of the you know, one of the calling cards for Silent Hill 2 is that the atmosphere is fantastic. And Bluebird team seems that it struggles with its narrative and making the worlds make sense and giving you a reason to stick in those worlds. So if they already have the fantastic story of Silent Hill 2 and they're not changing it or messing with it and just kind of adding their, you know, their expertise in terms of environments and stuff like that, then I'm kind of fine with, I'm kind of glad to hear that because it puts me, it gives me more fate faith in this remake um and then the only modernization is really the combat which obviously probably needs to be modernized most of those playstation one games playstation two era games are very janky yeah agreed i don't really have any alternate things to say it definitely needs the modernization of gameplay and the atmosphere is important the little bit that I played of the medium, I didn't think that it did a great job. Like the environments were cool, but it didn't establish something that gave really a lot of motivation to get through it and mm-hmm. it wasn't too scary. So I'm excited. I think it's definitely possible that they do a great job. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. I mean, it's supposed to be coming out this year, right? I, I, I've heard that's what they said, twenty twenty three. In our anticipated game list, which if you haven't listened, you can listen to that podcast. It is available now. We did talk about our kind of guessing what we think is going to come out month by month, and I threw Silent Hill two as my December pick for twenty twenty three. I think that's I think that's totally feasible, and December is becoming a much more um, viable spot for games being released. You know, this year alone, we had close to protocol. We had Crisis Core. We had Tactics Ogre. Also a correction. I probably should have did this at the top of the show, but I said Tactics Ogre was a remake of Final Fantasy Tactics. It is not Tactics Ogre. It's its own separate game that, is, that has been remade, and Final Fantasy Tactics is also uh, supposed to be remade. That cool. Wasn't in the video Appreciate league, that, so. yeah, because I, I, I thought they were different, but I didn't know. I, it, I totally didn't yeah. know. So I was like, I feel like just in terms of in terms of even just like gameplay hours, you're bigger in Final Fantasy than I mm-hmm. am at the moment. So but good. Good correction. Yeah, so clarif- clarification. Probably should have did that not two hours deep into the show, but you know, hey. That's fine. Li- so this is a solid feature length film of information for everyone. That is true. But um I mean after after this uh, medium story, we don't really have much else to say, Mark. Do you have any closing words for the audience anything to my closing anything to words, guide them for the week my closing words are that i don't think there could have been a better time to finish off these stories as liz has just walked through the door with food from fiesta cancun and i got a nice chicken dish waiting for me so this is just perfect timing that's all i'm gonna say and on that note ladies and gentlemen this was the Go for Bronze podcast, episode 13. We'll see you next week. The Go for Bronze podcast is a production of Go for Bronze Media, LLC. Hit us up on Twitter at Go for Bronze Pod, Instagram, Go for Bronze Pod. That's right, we have. You can check us out on Twitch at Go for Bronze Pod, also, our YouTube channel at Go for Bronze. This is the big dog. Until next time.